Hello and welcome back to the Song by Song podcast. I'm Martin Zotz-Orstwick. And I'm Sam Pei. And we're about to listen to the song So Long I'll See You from the album The Early Years, Volume 1 by Tom Waits. But I've got them so long I'll see you Cause my Buick's outside wet and blue mm-hmm. Well, one for the money, honey Two for the show and it's three to get ready Tom's gotta go, he's got them so long I'll see you Cause my Buick's outside wet and blue Um... I feel like this isn't a very Dylan-esque tradition where he has like the World War Three talking blues and in this one Tom Waits has the So Long I'll See You in My Buick's Outside Waiting blues, which is, that's a very long blues. It's different stakes as well, surely. It's a- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is slightly, uh, I feel like this ends better. I think this is really interesting. I really, I really like this song. Um, and coming at the end of an album that I had had mixed feelings about and not just mixed feelings about the album overall, but almost mixed feelings about every single track in isolation, you know, finding things that charmed me and things that irritated and latching onto ideas that I liked and being disappointed by other stuff. It, I, I, I was instantly, Oh, I'm, I'm having a lovely time with this. I was really, <laughs> I was really charmed. Uh, I, I, it's kind of charming. I do think it's a bit of a sketch, isn't it? It feels like a. I mean, I, I, these are demos, so that's that's an obvious thing to say. But it feels like a sketch for maybe a better song he'd write later in his career. It's kind of derivative. It's Dylan-y, It's bluesy. His voice doesn't sound like him at all. I know we said this on this album, but it's quite. Um, it's, it, it sounds like a sort of weirdly weirdly blues guy, doesn't it? Um, maybe, so, but but it's quite sweet. It's quite funny. It, it, it There's not a lot. I don't think there's a lot to it, but that doesn't really have to be. It kind of comes in and it goes and uh, yeah. The thing that I think more about it is that while I do think it's it's not detailed, I do think that it feels like a complete object because I think that a lot of blues songs, which are based around like uh, a little riff, and albeit this is like a, the most basic of uh, musical blues riffs, and the idea of having a car waiting for you is also pretty slight. It it feels with those things in mind, it feels very complete on those terms. I, I often think that things are successful and unsuccessful only on their own terms. A uh, yeah. a, a dark tragedy doesn't have many laughs. So viewed in terms <laughs> of a comedy, it's hugely unsuccessful. But uh, you know, you've got to. You've got to think about what it's aiming for, and for this, I think it's it hits exactly what it is aiming for. Yeah, I, uh, I, what's interesting to me, but one thing that's interesting to me about the song is that um, it uh, it has that sort of descending boom, 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 boom kind yeah. of vibe. I don't know if it's exactly the same as Ice Cream Man, which we had earlier in the season, but it seems very, very similar. Similar to yeah. that, um, and and Virginia Avenue a little bit as well. Mm. Uh, and there's um, it's sort of interesting to me that he's a writer that began on two instruments. I feel like it's relatively uncommon. I feel like the kind of Dylans and the Beatles of this world probably started on guitar yeah. and then transitioned to piano where he's kind of writing on both instruments right from the start of his career. And you've got something which is almost like a direct transplant, but it's like, it fits the uh, the idioms of the, the blues guitar in the same way that Ice Cream Man fits the blue idioms of a sort of slightly more like New Orleans boogie-woogie um, uh, thing, even though musically that they share a lot of DNA. Stylistically, yeah. it's very, very different, um, like voices and genres they're drawing from. And mostly I think he he hits the right notes uh, 
uh, sorry, musically, he does hit the right <laughs> note, but he hits the right tone um, sure. when he chooses. There's a couple of examples coming up on uh, volume two, which I've been uh, listening to in preparation for coming mm. episodes, where uh, he switches, where the demo, the, the early years version is on guitar and the, the final version is on piano. Interesting. Uh, but mostly, I think that he's uh, he's he's solid enough on both of them. You know, not 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 virtuoso, but solid enough uh, to sell the tone and the idea. And and I think that both sounds sort of fit with him. That he sounds he sounds comfortable. I th- I think he sounds really comfortable and confident in this. I know that you said it was kind of a high sort of uh, wheedling voice. Did you say the sort of the, the the tone that he has in? Yeah, I'm not trying to throw too much shade on it. But yeah, like it. <laughs> It is. It's. It's. It doesn't have the kind of slightly more warmth and len- leaning back comfort that you associate, even with his voice this, in this era. No, maybe not. But I do think that it has a little bit more personality than some of them. I think that in in other okay. songs, he's 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 flattened out the voice. He's trying to sing in a a cleaner, smoother. Um, uh, what I've sometimes thought of as like a more radio friendly voice, and in this, mm. he's at least reaching for something that feels like has got a bit of grit and grain, and uh, you know. It, hasn't been polished uh, so that his personality is obliterated. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's it's interesting as well because I do feel like he is a better piano player than he is a guitar player. And mm. I feel like that's roughly true throughout his career. But yeah. at this point, he's like an okay piano player and a, a bit of a basic guitar player. Like, I think what he does really fits the song. And you can imagine, again, like it's supporting the song. Like mm-hmm. the, you can imagine performing this live, and the guitar supports the song, supports the story, supports his voice. Um, but it's interesting that you know you get like five or ten years into his career, and he's like actually a pretty damn good piano player and like quite a good, good guitar player. And they they sort of keep step a little bit. It's almost like I do wonder. There's that um, quote attributed to him from that Johnny. I heard Johnny Greenwood say, which is like the only time you should pick up an instrument is to write a song. Um, okay. And yeah. and I do uh, I do wonder whether he gets bored and like jumps between these different instruments and later in his career he's using kind of a lot more strange percussion and strange keyboard instruments and that you know as a songwriter I know that like picking up just even just a different kind of guitar uh, inspires me to write different things because you're like sure. oh you can make this sound with it and it fits this kind of tone and um, so I wonder whether he's doing that early in his career jumping between these two instruments. I can imagine. I can imagine. And obviously in the uh, the live recordings that I listen to, he does jump back and forth. And I think that's useful not only for a songwriting process, but also to keep, you know, the dynamic of a, a live gig uh, energised and, and yeah. variation included. And obviously that that's um, that's something we've heard on Nighthawks as well, that they, they all have the same tone. They all have the same like kind of general energy, but that there is variation enough to... Uh, that would keep a, a live crowd engaged. Uh, in in the context of a uh, a live song, uh, the the idea of saying "so long, I'll see you," the Buick's outside. I did wonder if this was <laughs> a song that he would roll out at the end of um, a gig. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the the blue suede shoes reference uh, from the uh, from the the uh, second verse made me think of the, that uh, Elvis has left the building where, you know, that's, that's the thing he'd say <laughs> because there would be no more encores. You know, this is, this is the end of the uh, yeah, yeah. the gig. It's don't, don't hang around take your seats again, guys. I always think about that line when um, a comedy gig is going badly and someone says taxi for the comedian. It's like that same kind of thing. <laughs> the um, Buick for the, the musician. Yeah. Buick for the Tom Waits. Uh, I like, oh, this is, uh, listen to this now as a collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, the earliest volume one. This is like, uh, I'm not exactly sure whether there's some stuff from, from Volume 2 that was recorded earlier, but let's assume that this is presented roughly chronologically. Um, right. This is 
the earliest recordings that exist of Tom Waits, um, even before the sort of radio sessions and things like that. As far as I know, I don't think anything exists yeah. before 1971. Um, like, how do you, how does it sit with you as a as a collection of music of someone that you know is going to do some very, very different things? I mentioned in one of the episodes uh, from this album that there's there's a sense that I find charm in his performance, but I don't know whether that's just charm in retrospect or not. Like yeah, seeing sure. where someone who you love comes from in the same way that, you know, it, it, mm. it's easy to see the face of uh, the the adult or the teenager or whoever in baby photos in retrospect, but you can't yeah. really see where that face is going to go when you just look at a baby. Um, yeah, um, and I... I, I definitely, I think I'd probably stick by what I said when we first discussed this, which is that I, I do think it has its own charm as a collection of music. But if this was what he carried on doing for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, I would have stopped listening to him after album three, you know. Yeah. If it had been like, you know, after um, Nighthawks at the Diner, he hadn't really developed any further uh, stylistically, I think I would have been like, yeah, there's a, there's three, he did three good albums and then just repeated them. Yeah, uh, and probably wouldn't have revisited anything apart from those early early records. But I'm not sure if I totally agree. I think that if I if I really sort of squint and try and you know punch myself in the brain and go, imagine you don't know you you don't know where he ends up. I don't know whether I totally buy this first early years album. I, I like uh, spoilers. I I have more warmth. I think for volume two. I but there's so. an awful lot of lot here where I go. I I, I agree with his wish that <laughs> this hasn't not been released. Yeah, yeah, I sort absolutely. of do. Well, I okay. I would say there's there's there are some songs even on this. I think volume two is better. I think there are songs even on this collection that sound terrific, and there mm. are even uh, songs that I think are arguably as good or as better than the album versions when they were made the transition to closing time or half Saturday night. In part, so, like, yes, I agree. Yeah, I think Little Trip to Heaven is just really beautiful on this. Um, I think Ice Cream Man, like the arrangement on Closing Time is arguably better mm-hmm. because it's it's a lot more jaunty. But it's still, like, you can still hear the song there. It's not like, yeah. oh, they had to do a lot of work to punch this up. Like, it's 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 there. It's yeah. there, you know, minus a little bit of um, swing, essentially. Midnight Lullaby is probably better on the early yeah, years than, than the final version. And Virginia Avenue, very, very similar, except yeah. without that fucking guitar player. You know, so it's like, (laughs) so there's a lot. um, Actually, I remember not enjoying this record uh, when I first heard it. I didn't think I've listened to it more than once or twice. And um, But going back to the songs which on closing time are like, yeah, yeah, they're okay. Like they, uh, because they're in a midst of arguably less strong material, they really stand out as great songs, I think, on this collection. Yeah. There's not many that, that didn't make the jump that I think I really wish had i think going down yeah, yeah, has yeah. some nice elements and i think i mean we disagree on frank's song i do quite like frank's song uh, and we disagree about rocking chair mm. i do quite like some of the writing in rocking chair but overall mm. uh yeah i think i think they can stay here yeah they can stay here and this is probably the most negative that i felt about any of the albums that we've listened to across this project even the ones where i was a bit mm. nervous and 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 hadn't enjoyed them as a, a casual listener uh, yeah. Before I go, which before I turn pro, um, uh, it's uh, yeah. This is this is the most down I feel about an album. 
Yeah, and I feel okay about my negativity or, or disappointment with this record. I mean, I think because it because it is a collection of demos, he didn't want it released. It's very, very early in his experience of being a songwriter. Um, I do think there's something that, and with both of these collections, as we're here, like this, what he what it kind of lacks in originality and sophistication. Like he kind of makes up for an enthusiasm a little bit. Like you can tell he's kind of hungry as a songwriter. Yeah. He's really trying. Like he's not phoning in the performances or the you know he may some of the lyrics might feel like they're a bit phoned in but again like it's early it's early days in his writing career mm. um, and I think that's very interesting and um, in some ways it's in some ways it is more intimate than his later work which is so much so much um, typically refracted through the lens of characters and and um, fictional situations yeah. and uh, you know. I guess he's taking on tropes rather than characters here, but still there's there's a certain intimacy with with these recordings. The one thing that I did think about, I was listening to um to uh, Desert Island Discs uh, the other day um, with Tom uh, Waits. No, not with Tom Waits. It was a uh, it was um, uh, a lady called uh, Sunita Aline. She's a master of Jesus College, Cambridge, um, and oh. one of the songs she picked though was Martha, um, huh. which, which I probably haven't listened to. Um, more than once or twice since we did our episode on. Mm. Um, and I was thinking the thing that's useful about Early Years Volume 1, or, and the Early Years in general, is that it does chart what a massive step forward he mm. took in his songwriting over the next two years. Um, I remember us talking about, uh, in closing time, what com- how, how impressive it was he was as complete a songwriter on, in, yeah. At this age and at the, in his first album, as he is, um, and it made me remember there is no demo version of Martha. It must have been written yeah. after 1971, and in in many right. ways, I still feel that that is a mark. That is a song that he sort of never bettered. Like in terms of writing, like he's done amazing things in different directions. But in that idea, he sort of perfected something right at the beginning of his career, and that. It's worth remembering that that didn't spring, you know, fully formed from the brow of Zeus. That's something yeah, that he yeah, was yeah. working towards, and you see little elements of the of the 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 innovative use of language and little uh, ideas about character f- that he's flirting with, that he's just getting to grips with two or three years earlier. And then, yeah, I think Martha was such an exceptional song, and uh, even in his early even his early songwriting, you're absolutely right. I don't think there's anything like it. I think it's an absolute solid gold banger. Um, and on, on albums I'm reasonably fond of, like um, like Heart of Saturday Night and Closing Time, I don't think there's much that is as good as that song. So you, so I don't know if that necessarily charts like a songwriting arc because it's a bit of a blip, arguably. Like I think he Maybe. writes, he, he's, he, he's, I think he was written songs as good subsequently, but like probably, anyway, um, yeah, I think, I think that's interesting. But I do think like even on this recording where there's a lot of, for me, fairly disposable material, like yeah, there is stuff that, that holds up. Like um like like I said, a little trip to heaven is one that going back and listening to this is just really wonderfully romantic and intimate. Um yeah. right at the start of his career. And it's important to remember that we're comparing this to someone who I think we both in general think is really smart, really talented, really like exceptional, an exceptional singer songwriter. The idea that his early material doesn't land as, as well as that other stuff is, it would be kind of amazing. It's to be expected. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as well that like, uh, we also, I think, I think of him as someone who's very, very in control of his whole like artistic vision, like from instrumentation, arrangement, recording, acoustics, you know, processing, 
you know, using his voice as an instrument. And so when he's doing stuff where it's like, oh, he's just doing a blues song, that's yeah. kind of unusual. It's kind of unusual to hear a Tom White song where it's like, oh, that's just a blues song. Like, because yeah. that doesn't happen that much in later in his career. I think there's, um, I did a, a, a approach to with some trepidation because there is material on this, like going down slow and like late night, late night evening prostitute and um, Frank's song, which I remember being kind of offensive. And I was like, we, you know, we had, um, especially like quite sexist in quite a crass 1970s way. Yeah. And I, I was like, it's important that we have female guests on to respond yeah. to that because I don't feel particularly comfortable with it, but they might have insights that I don't. And, uh, you know, I have felt a certain amount of trepidation of like, we're kind of, you know, playing this music for criticism to, to, to women who, you know, probably don't need to hear a load of sexist soul shit. Yeah. But by and, by and large, like, I feel like the reactions to it have been like less extreme than I would have had. Like Jess yeah. really liked Frank's song, yeah. you know, Alice's reactions to some of the more sexist tropes was like kind of humorous and different. Yeah, that's what to be and expected. I yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's just because, you know, uh, music and art have given, given us a, uh, given women a very, very low expectation of men. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he's a sexist wanker that's you know that's how it works or whether just you know maybe i feel more protective of the the, the directions he's punching in in these songs than the people who who are, are the victims of the punching if you if you like the um the the thing that i've I, I took it to mean is that um in the case of some of our guests either yeah i mean you're possibly you're right uh, that you know they they're just have incredibly low expectations um <laughs> which but, is which is fair but not good no yeah <laughs> like so much to do with our culture that's uh it's, it's understandable <laughs> and should be changed but but i think also it's part of this like next step of how we deal with um uh, media and culture particularly from the past particularly from further in the past where to uh to to, to not engage with it, to to wipe it from the record books totally in all yeah. cases and without uh, discrimination and uh, discerning consideration doesn't really win us any points. You know, it, it, it's it's an easy uh, uh, and it, it's easy to to apply a broad brushstroke to anything that refers to this kind of language that belittles or objectifies women and there are some examples where you go yes that's true yes that's not great and there are other things to talk about and engage with um and i think staying active in that process for me at least is is really worthwhile and clearly that's something that uh, some of our guests have also been willing or able or um uh, have decided it's worth doing for some of this music yeah i i mean i i feel like if it had been like explicitly like racist or homophobic like i probably wouldn't be talking about an artist sure. that i thought had that in their back catalog but then i wouldn't have got a person of color or a queer person on to go like hey what do you think about this homophobia you know like it because that, that's not great so I, I it wasn't like i thought it i don't find this material offensive i just kind of find it embarrassing like it makes me cringe when he calls a woman a hag i'm just like dude like you could have come up with a better rhyme please well <laughs> i don't know how you feel about that do you feel that way or are you just like oh it's a bit old-fashioned but whatever i <sighs> In that particular example, I think that it's such a big gesture as to be almost cartoony. Um, right, and in right. general, because there's so much anger in it. <laughs> yeah, and and like I said in the episode, like uh, I think that's more stepping into a character than some of his other, his other stuff. Um, right, right. And in general, um, 
it's not surpassed the level for me where I can squint and go, attitudes were different in the 70s. He wouldn't have written that song now. Now, what does the song, what, what are the benefits and what are the, the, the other benefits and the other downsides of this song uh, that given, that accepted, that not ignored, but that then passed over? Um, uh, and again, like I said, it's uh, the, the response to some of these things where you, you know, you, you, you hedge your bets and you vacillate and you go, oh, yeah, well, I still want to talk about it. People throw their arms up and go, where do you draw the line? And I just keep thinking that I'm going to keep drawing lines in various different places. This one, I think it was worth uh, drawing the line uh, south or north or east or west of mm-hmm. talking about this this album. So I guess we're going to, uh, we're kind of wrapping up this album, but really the two early years of albums kind of come as a pair. Although yeah. I feel like volume two, which we'll, we'll start on uh, in the coming weeks and months, uh, has a different character. I don't know if that was because of the way the songs were curated or because of the way that they were recorded. Um, yeah. This material, comes, I think, comes from different sessions. Yeah, I certainly have a bit more fun with early years, volume two. So, um, <laughs> Hopefully. There's, there's less 1970s sexism. Uh, well, this is the end of our first season as part of the Stripped Media Network, a collection of like-minded podcasts including The Wire Stripped, The Bakedown, His Darker Materials, The 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest, and Flixwatcher. Uh, it's a wonderful network of podcasts that talk about film and television as well as media and culture in general, and we're very proud to be a part of it. So thanks very much to Tom, Dave, and Kobe for having us on board. If you want to read more about those shows and take a listen to some of them, you should head to the website stripped.media. Our medium of choice is, of course, uh, music. But between the halves of our two-album earlier season, we're dipping back into Tom Waits' film career um, with an episode looking at the 1993 film Shortcuts, as directed by Robert Altman. Uh, and that will be with very special guest Amy Nicholson. Indeed, indeed. Uh, uh, and that hopefully should be appearing in your feed over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and at three hours plus and currently not available on streaming or VOD, uh, you'll <laughs> need to make a space in your schedule for it. So hopefully you can have watch and follow along with us Uh, and speaking of our feed before we go we have a very boring announcement which is that we're switching podcast hosts now hopefully should make no difference at all uh, to you listening especially if you're subscribed do subscribe uh, and the new episodes should just pop up in your feed but if you do have any problems like episodes appearing twice or you know there's an episode out but it's not coming in your feed just drop us a line at the usual places and of course, we would love you to get in touch about anything that comes to mind concerning the podcast, whether it's interval track suggestions or thoughts about songs that we've covered or songs that are coming up. Please do send us an email on songbysongpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at songbysongpod. Find us on Facebook at songbysongshow. And all of our details are on our website, songbysongpodcast.com. Until next time, I've been Martin zolt And I've been Sam Pei. Cause I got so long to see bugs outside waiting blue